appreciate it. Well, good morning. I, uh, I am thrilled to be here with you, and, and it's, uh, I bring greetings from Harvest Baptist Church of Blue Springs, and Pastor Alan Shelby, I know some of you know him, as Jeff said. He's, he's been around, I think he was at, the, at your missions conference last year, and certainty conference this year, so I bring greetings from him, and, and it is an honor to call your pastor a friend, and, and he's someone I look up to in the Lord, and man, you, you got a good one, um, I mean that, and, and he doesn't even know it, but he's, he's a mentor to me from afar, uh, so it's humbling to be preaching here and, and standing in this pulpit in front of all of you today, but, but that's what we're here to do, so um, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and, and then let's get to it. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we just love you. And uh, we come to you today uh, in submission to you. And so, Lord, I ask you uh, to use your word this morning uh, to pierce hearts, to pierce lives, Lord, uh, myself included. And, uh, Lord, that you would have your will and your way with all of us, uh, that your word would be spoken freely, that you would be lifted up and glorified in your rightful place, Lord, and that we would not only hear your word this morning, but we would respond. Lord, we love you, we thank you, we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 20, Jeremiah chapter 20, and this morning out of three short verses in this 20th chapter of the prophet Jeremiah's book, we're going to learn about the internal battles of spiritual warfare. I told you a second ago that your pastor is a mentor to me from afar, and the biggest part of his mentorship is, is done through me listening to his sermons online. So I've been following along with you guys in the book of 1 Peter. And through that study, I have, and I trust you have as well, learned a lot about suffering and the opportunity that suffering provides us to give God glory. And today's message uh, flows well with that, or... Or, or at least that's my goal. I hope it does. Well, I guess we'll find out here in a second. Um, but I hope it flows well with that because the prophet Jeremiah was someone who knew a little bit about suffering too. If you know anything about Jeremiah, he's known as the weeping prophet. And what we're going to look at today is all about Jeremiah's internal suffering. And this is important for us to understand because the internal battles that Jeremiah dealt with some 2,600 plus years ago are still the same internal battles that you and I deal with today. Not a lot's changed in that respect. And those battles have everything to do with our viewpoint, and specifically, our view of God and our view of ourselves in light of our circumstances. So our thesis this morning is this. Viewing your life through the lens of faith is the only way to glorify God in your trials. Viewing your life through the lens of faith is the only way to glorify God in your trials. You see, when it comes to glorifying God in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your trials and tribulations and persecutions, how you view those trials, how you view those persecutions is incredibly important. And it's what Pastor Jeff talked about last week. It's all about your perspective. But you need to know this morning that you can have a victorious view in the valley, in the valleys of your life, and not just any view, a victorious view, a biblical view in the valley. So as we get started, let me ask you a question. 
Have you ever experienced a time where your eyes have played tricks on you? And maybe it was late at night and, and you were driving down a dark road and, and you thought you saw something that wasn't really there. You know, you hear people talk about an oasis in the desert. But it happens where, for some reason or another, our, our vision gets a little bit messed up. And we see things that aren't there, or on the flip side, we don't see things that are there. And I don't know about you, but this seems to be a fairly common problem for me. And let me give you an example. So Jennifer, as my wife, by the way, I have a beautiful wife, Jennifer. I have three kids. They're kind of all spread out, two boys, 16, 12, and a daughter that's six. And, and she runs, she doesn't run me. She runs them. She runs my, my sons. Um, she kind of came along later in life, and, and uh, so she's pretty special. Um, but so Jennifer will ask me to go get something, and it could be anything. For, for the sake of this illustration, let's just say it's her keys. So this conversation will go something like this. She'll say, Troy, can, can you please go get my keys? They're in my purse. So being the good husband that I am, I s- promptly stop whatever it is that I'm doing. And I get up immediately, and I go get her purse, and I examine it thoroughly. And I never find her keys. And so I'll go back to where she's at, and in a very loving and caring way, I'll tell her, you know, babe, I searched your entire purse, and, and, and they're just not there. You, you must have put them somewhere else. To which she'll reply something like, no, they're in the inside pocket. Did, did you check the inside pocket? And of course I checked the inside pocket. I looked through your entire purse. So inevitably, she will stop what she is doing. She will go get her purse, and she will find her keys, and all that will take about seven seconds. So I don't get it. Am, am I the only person that this happens to? I don't know. But I don't see something. Yeah, I think all the ladies can understand uh, what I'm talking about. I don't see something that's right there. And it's right in front of me, and I don't see it. And like I said earlier, vision can be a funny thing sometimes. And the same thing is true for our spiritual life. It is easy for our spiritual vision to get a little messed up as well. And we start looking at things wrong. And we see things that aren't there. And we don't see things that are there. And this is especially true during the times of suffering in our life. And it becomes hard to have and to maintain a proper perspective of God and what he's trying to do in your life. And it's hard because those times test us. Those trials test us. And they test who we are and why we do what we do. And they test our faith. And in our text this morning, we find the prophet Jeremiah in that exact place. Jeremiah is having trouble seeing how things really are and what God is trying to do because of the suffering he's facing. Look with me in Jeremiah chapter 20. We'll read verses 7 and 8. The Bible says, O Lord, Jeremiah through the Bible says, O Lord, thou hast deceived me. And I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. For since I spake, I cried out, I cried violence and spoil, because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me and a derision daily. So I think it's pretty easy to see here that Jeremiah is going through some stuff. He's being taken through the ringer a little bit. And because of that, his vision is a little bit skewed. 
He's talking about how the Lord has deceived him and how his word was made a reproach and a derision daily. And that word derision in in verses 7 and 8, it means laughing stock. So Jeremiah had literally become the laughing stock of an entire nation. He was comedy fodder because of his message to Judah. And it bothered him. It hurt him personally. And he was tore up about it. And Jeremiah is an interesting prophet. You know, I told you he's known as the weeping prophet. I mean, he was sensitive in that way. I mean, things got to him. He, he authored a book with the title Lamentations, which was his lamenting and aching about the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonian Empire in roughly 587 B.C. And Jeremiah lived during the time of Judah's last five kings, recorded in the book of 2 Kings. And if you know anything about the book of 2 Kings and what was going on during the time of Jeremiah's life, you know how dark those days were. J. Sidlow Baxter calls the book of 2 Kings the most tragic national record ever written. And that was a time when Jeremiah was alive and prophesying and preaching for the Lord. So he was dealing with some heavy things. And he had been given a heavy message to deliver from the Lord. But you know what? That's not completely different from today. I mean, there's some crazy things going on in our country. I mean, it wasn't enough that to change the definition of marriage. Now we've changed the definition of gender. And there's some, there's some crazy things going on. And, you know, we'll get messed up by that because we'll think, man, how is that even possible? Well, 2 Timothy chapter 3 tells us how's that, how that's possible. Because it says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Man, we're in the last days. And if we don't recognize that, and if we don't see that, we're going to miss what God's calling us to do. So don't think it's strange, take a phrase from 1 Peter, that there is craziness going on in our country and in our communities. And unfortunately, even in the lives of many people attending good churches like this one today. And because of that, we have a heavy message to deliver to those that we come in contact with every day. You know, the gospel is more offensive today in this country at large than it was even a decade ago. So delivering that message is going to bring persecution and suffering. We know this. You guys have talked about it in your study of 1 Peter. So the question we have to ask ourselves is the same one that Jeremiah was dealing with in our text. Since we know that persecution and suffering is inevitable if we are to live godly, how can God get glory out of it? And that comes down to how you handle it. Your perspective on the suffering and the struggles that come your way when you live your life according to biblical principles. What do you see when you face those internal battles? Because what you see determines how you will respond. And if you can only see the struggle, man, you're going to fail the test. 
But if you're able to see God and his mission, even in the midst of the struggle, and his purpose behind the struggle, you can stay on track. You can glorify God with your life. And you can glorify God in the midst of some of the hardest things you have to deal with. And that's what we ultimately see with Jeremiah. But before he got to that conclusion, he had to deal with some battles. And like I've already said, those battles that we see Jeremiah going through as he struggled with what to think, what perspective to have, how to properly focus, are the same battles that we deal with every time our spiritual vision is challenged by our circumstances. And this is important because our results in these battles determine if we are going to have a victorious view in the valley. So let's break this down and get into the text a little bit more and see what it has to say to us this morning. The first battle that, that Jeremiah dealt with in our passage is a battle of wills. A battle of wills. Look back at Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 7. He says, O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I, and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily, everyone mocketh me. So this first battle that Jeremiah is dealing with, the same battle you and I deal with, it's, it's a battle of will. Do you see what Jeremiah says there in verse 7? He says, God, you are stronger than me, and you have deceived me. And his accusation here is that God forced himself upon Jeremiah in a way that was unwanted. That God forced and imposed his own will on Jeremiah because of God's strength. And that Jeremiah was an unwilling recipient. This is a battle of wills because Jeremiah despised where God's will has taken him. So let me ask you, do you? Do you despise where God's will has taken you? When you are battling with God regarding what he has told you to do versus what you want to do, how do you respond? Do you fight against God or do you fight the good fight of faith by viewing your circumstances through the lens of faith? And I'm not even going to take time to get into it because I know you've already covered it. But let me remind you. What do we learn about God's will in verses like 1 Peter 2.20 and 3.17 and 4.19? We learn, hopefully you've already learned, that suffering is a part of God's will for your life and for mine. And if you haven't already seen it, I mean, I know you're not there yet, but if you don't already know it, once you get to 1 Peter 5.10, you're going to learn how God uses suffering to bring you to maturity. So listen, at some point you have to be able to give yourself over to God's will if you ever want to fully live out his eternal purpose for your life. And just as a side note, for you LFBI students, so I'm from an LFBI church, what's one of the character qualities of a bishop is recorded in Titus 1.7? Not self-willed. You remember the story of Jesus in John chapter 4 when he's talking to the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well and he has this great conversation with her telling her that, that he has everlasting water and that whosoever drinks of the water that he gives will never thirst again. And so that's what's on his mind when his disciples had left and, and they go to get some food and, and he has this conversation with this woman and and so that's what's on his mind as his disciples return. 
And, and, and let's look at this follow-up conversation in John chapter 4, starting in verse 31. And it says, In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. They've brought back food. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? And I'm like, man, well, did somebody else beat us to the punch here? Uh, what happened? And Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. So, so Jesus was hungry. He hadn't eaten. That's why the disciples went to go get food. He was weary. Physically, he needed food and rest. So in that sense, he, he, there was some suffering he was dealing with. But he, when he reflected back on what had just happened with that Samaritan woman, that is where he received his true satisfaction. The food didn't satisfy him at that point. It was God's will for his life that satisfied him. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. And so he wasn't caught up in the physical, temporal satisfaction of this life. But we are. And we were caught up in our will and our desires because his will and his desires are too hard and they cause too much suffering. And so as we battle through that, that battle becomes just our longing to feed our flesh instead of serving the Lord. Our will over his. So what that means then is unlike Jesus, for many of us, then, our direct battle is not with the evil of this world, it is with the entertainment of this world. And our problem is not hating the world, our problem is loving it. And because we love the world, we're not willing to submit to the the will of God. Because following our own will is just too enjoyable, and it's too fun, and it's too comfortable. A.W. Tozer once said that the idea that this world is a playground instead of a battleground has now been accepted and practiced by the vast majority of Christians. What a shame. Listen, what you have to see is that the playground of this world that your will wants to, to, this longs for and wants to give itself to is contrary to what God wants to do in your life. And it's contrary to his will. And all too often, our spiritual vision gets out of line and gets out of whack just because we are losing that battle of wills. And when that happens, our contentment and our joy in life becomes based on what we have instead of who we have. Now, don't get me wrong. I enjoy the comforts of this world just as much as the next guy. But if my joy is driven by those things, then quite simply, I have got it wrong. That is selfishness. God wants us to be satisfied in him and in his will for our life. To do the will, my meat, is to do the will of the Father that has sent me. He doesn't want us to be dissatisfied in that and disgruntled in that. We should be able to have joy And that, as Jeremiah is working through this battle with the Lord, which, by the way, we're going to see Jeremiah get to the right spot. I'll spoil the the ending already. I don't care. That's, That's good. It's good to have those honest conversations with the Lord. It's fine to have those battles are inevitable, and it's fine to work them out and slug it out with the Lord, so to speak, as long as you end in the right spot 
which is what we're going to see with Jeremiah. But here in verse 7, he's still having a problem. He had no joy because of where God's will had taken him in life. So when it comes to your joy and your spiritual vision, where is your focus? Do you want to be used by God? Or are you willing to be used by the devil just to get ahead and just to have your own way? Don't get caught up in that, man. Get caught up in those physical desires. They will never give you true joy anyway. And the happiness you get from that and feeding your own flesh, just, just falling to your own will, all that is temporary, it is fleeting, and it is not worth it. Philippians 4.11 says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And Paul, who wrote those words from prison, had learned a very valuable lesson, that God's will takes precedent over ours. He he was in jail, and he could write those words. And really just, I mean, isn't that what life's about? Pleasing God, being in his will. You know, we don't have time. You guys know. you, You guys have discipleship. You know what the will of the Lord is. And if you don't know, you can find out because it's in the Bible. It's very, it's very specific and it's very detailed. What God wills for your life. It starts with salvation. And if you're not saved today, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, that's his will for you. So do that, man. Do that today. And it goes on and there's sanctification and submission and, and being spirit-filled. His will is very specific. So you can, if you don't know it, if, you, if you're sitting back and saying, yeah, but... But I, Troy, I don't know what God's will is. Man, get in discipleship. They'll teach you. And you can learn exactly what God wants for your life. So, so don't get caught up in your will. Get caught up in God's will. And I know that surrendering yourself to God's will can be a scary endeavor. But it is only scary from a selfish temporal point of view. God will take, if, if you are in line with him and in his will for your life, God will take care of you. This is a place we have to be. It is a place we have to strive for. And it's the first battle we deal with in our struggle to maintain a proper view in the valley. And then second, the second point is Jeremiah dealt with a battle of humility. In Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 8, he says, For since I spake, I cried out, I cried violence and spoil. Because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me and a derision daily. So in verse 7, we see Jeremiah go through the battle of wills because he talked about he felt like God deceived him and imposed his own will upon him. And then in verse 8, we see Jeremiah's battle and test of humility because he talks about the personal embarrassment he is experiencing by speaking the word of the Lord. He said it was a reproach. And a derision daily. I've already told you how derision means lacking, laughing stock. And reproach means disgrace. So not only did he feel deceived about what God had called him to do, he also felt embarrassed. And listen, how many times can the same thing be said of us? Particularly when we are in the valleys of life and when our vision gets off. And we start looking inward instead of upward. And we get more concerned with what other people think, even than with what God thinks. And it becomes an issue of humility. Because at its core, it is about putting our pride aside and putting ourselves lower than we put God. 
That's why John said in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 3 and verse 30, that he must increase, but I must decrease. And this passage described the words of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was sent before Jesus to prepare the way and prepare the hearts of those that Jesus was coming to seek and save. But by John chapter 3, Jesus was on the scene. And John knew that his time in the limelight was over. And he knew that he needed to step off the stage and let Jesus take the lead. And listen to me, Christian. If you still hold the center stage position in your life, it is time for you to step down. I told you in the introduction that the internal battles we fight through have everything to do with our view of God and our view of ourselves in light of our circumstances. And I want you to think about that for a second because those two points go hand in hand. And I say that because the more we know and the more we think about God, the less we should think of ourselves. Listen to how Paul described himself. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he says, For I am the least of the apostles, and not meet to be called an apostle. Ephesians 3, 8, Unto me, whom am less than the least of all this saints. 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Do you know one of the main reasons why God was able to use Paul like he did? is because he didn't think too highly of himself. He understood who he was in light of scripture and in light of the truth of God. And listen, that is not defeatist thinking. That is not fatalistic thinking. That is not selling yourself short. I agree with Joel Osteen that you should break out and have your best life now and that it's your time and that you should become a better you. We just vastly disagree on how to get there. (laughs) The Bible says that God should increase and you should decrease. But that is good for you because when you do that, you have access to all his power. Listen to me. His strength is made perfect in weakness. And because of that, when I am weak, then am I strong, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. You see, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me, Philippians 4, 13. But not only that, Colossians 1, 11 tells me that I am strengthened with all might. How? According to his glorious power. And I'm not sure if you're getting it. But Paul said, it was God who enabled or empowered me for that he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry, 1 Timothy 1.12. Listen to me. There is going to come a time in your life and probably multiple times in your life where you are going to face the battle of humility and your pride wanting it's what it feels like is its proper place. And when you do that, you need to cling to the verses like the one I just read to you. When your pride wants control and your flesh can't stand that this other person is in this spot or is getting more recognition than you or they're doing something wrong so they don't deserve it. And the next time you're discouraged because living life according to Bible principles places you in a, in a position of reproach and derision when that happens and when that test comes remember he must increase but I must decrease but when you do that you win the battle and when you win the battle you get access to true power from on high his strength 
is made perfect in my weakness. So when I am weak, then am I strong. If I try to do this thing in my own power, man, I ain't going to get anywhere. I need his power. That means I got to be humble. I got to place myself, I got to understand who I am in light of the truth of Scripture about God. And everything this world tells us, everything this world shows us, goes in direct opposition to being humble. And even many of our churches have become entertainment venues because they are exhibitions of how we can increase instead of God. And it's a shame. And I think it's like we see in Revelation chapter 3, speaking of the church of Laodicea, who we are. And I think it makes God sick because we can't humble ourselves. And listen to me, this isn't popular theology today. And, and, and you probably won't hear it in, in many other churches. But we need to learn to grow downward. We need to learn to grow downward. The healthy heart is one that bows down in humility and rises in praise and adoration to Almighty God. Hudson Taylor, most of you have heard of him. He's a missionary to China in the 1800s. He was founder of the China Inland Mission. And, you know, he and William Carey are really known as the father, one of the, the fathers of modern missions. He was scheduled to speak at a large church in Melbourne, Australia one time. And the pastor of that church was introducing him and, and, and he introduced him in very eloquent and glowing terms. And he told this large congregation all that uh, Hudson Taylor had accomplished in China. And then he presented to him as our illustrious guest. And Taylor made his way to the pulpit and he stood quietly for a moment. And then he opened his message by saying, Dear friends, I am the little servant of an illustrious master. And do you know why Hudson Taylor was able to do the things he was able to do for God? Because just like John the Baptist, and just like Paul, and just like many of the heroes of the faith along the way, he understood he must increase, but I must decrease. And we need to understand it too. Listen, if you want to maintain a proper view in the valley, you have to win the battle of humility. You have to see God for who he is and see yourself for who you are and be humble because of it. So we'll face a battle of wills. We see that with Jeremiah. We see he moves on. He's facing a battle of humility. And then third, in order to keep our spiritual vision straight, to keep a victorious view in the valley, the third thing is we're going to face a battle of obedience. And this last battle simply deals with whether we are going to obey God or, or we're not. Look back at Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 9. And I like this because at the beginning of this verse, Jeremiah, he's ticked, man. He, he's not happy. I mean, you, you saw that in verse 7 and 8. And then he, he just lets it out in verse 9. He's like, all right, God, here's what's going to happen. And, and, you know, and I, I can, you know, I appreciate because of my human frailties, I, I appreciate the honesty of the Bible, of real men, right? These were real men that lived. This isn't fiction. This isn't a fiction story. These are real men that lived and dealt with real things that you and I deal with. And, and I take encouragement, quite honestly, from seeing the struggles of other people because it, that helps me say, all right, all right, I, man, he had to deal with it too. And, 
So when I'm dealing with it, I draw encouragement from those things. So I draw encouragement from, from this passage. In verse 9, he says, Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more his name. Boom, he's done. He's fed up. He's resigning. He's, he's, he's the prophet for Judah, but he's done. But man, the, it changes, and, and look how good it is. He says, but his word was in mine heart as a burning fire, shut up in my bones, and I was weary of forbearing, and I could not stay. What an incredible verse. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Jeremiah is at the end of his rope. He didn't want God's will for his life. He didn't like that he was the laughing stock of an entire nation. He was ready to quit. It was over. He was going to throw in the towel, but he couldn't. He had to obey. And at the end of the day, it comes down to obedience. But, here, here, but here's the thing about obedience. And you have to get this or you won't win this battle when you face it. His obedience was based upon the fact that God's word was in his heart, and even more than that, it was in his bones. It was in him in such a way that even though he wanted to quit, he couldn't. He said, I was weary with forbearing, and forbearing means to keep in, to maintain. Jeremiah said, I can't do it. I know too much to keep my mouth shut. God's word was in his heart as a burning fire shut up in his bones. Listen, Jeremiah was obedient to God because he had spent time with God. It's exactly what David, you know this from your discipleship lessons, what David talks about in Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto, according to thy, according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, what? That I might not sin against thee. He, he, it was in him. And when the word of God is in you, when you have it hid in your heart, it keeps you obedient. It keeps you from sinning against him. But you've got to get it deep, man. You've got to put the work in. You've got to study it. You've got to learn it. And then you've got to get it into your bones. So deep it gets into your bones. That's what the author, who's Paul, by the way, uh, of Hebrews was talking about when he wrote chapter 4, verse 12. It says, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even where? To the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow. It's in the bones. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You see, this book in you is all you need to live an obedient life, but this book has to be in you. If you want to live that obedient life, you can't do it on your own. It's not going to work any other way. And here's the thing about that. To really know the word in this way, you have to have a relationship with the word of God in a special way, in a daily way. And I know about this church. I know what this church teaches. I know you know this, but I'm going to say it anyway. You can't be hit and miss and expect to be, remain obedient to the word of God. You can't, you got to have a consistent relationship with the Word of God. When you're going through struggles and suffering, God has provided a way. 
Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23 said, it, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. He is a compassionate God. He is there for you. How? They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And this is a great verse because it says the Lord's mercies, what we need in our suffering, are new every morning. They are there every day without fail because great is his faithfulness. But what that means is you have to go get them every day. You see, the mercies you get from God today may not apply for tomorrow. He has new mercies for you tomorrow. But how are you going to get it tomorrow if you don't spend time with him in the word of God tomorrow? How do you expect to make it through Tuesday if you don't get in his word and get his mercies for Tuesday? We sit around and complain about how hard the battles are, how tough it is to remain obedient. And all God is saying is, I have mercies for you today to get through today's battle, but you didn't come get them. So the mercies are available, but if you want them, you have to spend time in his word. Let me show you. Psalms 85.10. It says what? Mercy and what? Truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. That's how it works. If you want mercy, you have to get truth. Because you find his mercy in his truth. And we know from John 17, 17, thy word is what? Truth. You receive the mercy to get through the day, mercy to remain obedient by getting into God's word and meditating on him and his faithfulness daily. And when you do that, it becomes more than just another good book. It becomes your source of comfort and strength and guidance and power. And it becomes your lens to the world and to yourself. The word of God becomes your mirror that you see everything and you see yourself through. And you get a true picture. Not this world's picture, a true picture of what's around you. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 17 and 18 says, Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. You see, we can see God's glory through this book. And when it becomes the mirror, and it it can become, and it needs to become the mirror of our life as you're looking in a glass. And if we look at it every day, and we go to his word every day, that mirror will begin to look at ourselves, and we'll begin to see ourselves change to the glory of the Lord. And it is the same thing with an actual mirror, right? Good, bad, or indifferent, a mirror is going to tell you exactly what's going on with your body. And if you're gaining weight, the mirror is your worst enemy. And if you're losing weight, you've never had a better friend. Well, the word of God is the same. Go to it and allow God to teach you. And and through it, you'll see yourself exactly how you are and where you are every day. You'll see the good, the bad, and the ugly. But if you keep going to it, you'll begin to see God mold your life. And you'll begin to look like you've never looked before. And you know what you'll see? His glory in you. What are we talking about? How suffering can bring glory, our suffering can bring glory to God. 
when you just remain obedient by going to his word and spending time in it, investing in it, and putting your life in it, and you'll look at yourself every day, and it'll show you where you are. And you'll see, man, if you keep doing it, that you'll change, and you'll get six months down the road, and you'll be like, man, I look different than I did. And what you're seeing is God's glory. And he's getting glory out of your life because you're letting the word of God work. Let the word of God do the work. It will. And then, like Jeremiah, when the battle rages, you will have an answer. Because it's in you. It's in your bones. You've hit it in your heart. And the answer will be, I know too much to back away. I know too much to stay silent. I know God is true. I know the word of God is true. So I have to stay true to that and to him. I have to stay obedient. That's how God can get glory out of your suffering. When you go to the book and build an obedient relationship with God through it. And listen, I get it. Obedience isn't the most exciting topic to talk about. because, And that's because you cannot separate obedience and suffering. But we've been called to do exactly what Jeremiah was called to do some 2,600 years ago. And that is to witness and to warn and to give people the truth of God's word. Colossians 1, verses 27 and 28, to whom God will make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That is how you fulfill the great commandment. And we talk about the great commission all the time, but the great commission is something we do because of the great commandment. And that's love God and love people. Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39. You know the verses. Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You know why Jeremiah hid God's word in his heart and then shared God's word with a nation that laughed him to scorn and didn't want to hear anything he had to say? It was just simply because he loved God and he loved them. And at the end of the day, even though it was obviously very difficult on him, it ultimately didn't matter that they didn't love him back. And that didn't mean it didn't hurt. That didn't mean it wasn't hard. But his word was in his heart as a burning fire, shut up in his bones, and he was weary of forbearing, and he could not stay. He couldn't stay there, so it didn't matter. And, and he, he loved them because God loved them, and we've got to love them because God loves them. And show them that we love them by giving them the word of God, by giving the true gospel, not some fake feel-good nonsense that has no eternal impact, Joel Osteen, since I mentioned him earlier. We need to preach the true, unadulterated word of God. What Paul calls in 1 Timothy 1.11, the glorious, and I want you to hear these words, the glorious gospel of the blessed God. How, man, that's good. We have been called to share and preach a glorious Gospel. It is really good news. It's what it says. That's the definition is good news. It is gloriously good news. 
And it has been given to us to take to the world by a blessed God who is faithful every day. And the sad thing is we act like it's a, we have a second-rate gospel. Because we don't share it like we should. It doesn't keep us obedient like it would if we considered it glorious. And we act like Jeremiah in the first part of Jeremiah 20, verse 9, where he wants to quit. The question you have to ask yourself this morning is do you make it with him to the second half of that verse? Do you apply Romans 1.16 and are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ? Can you get with Paul when he says in 1 Corinthians 9.16, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. See, Paul had a glorious gospel that he had hid in his heart and shut up in his bones. And he had to share it. Do you? Is there are people out there that do not know what the word of God says about them, about their lives. But you have the answer. So don't keep it to yourself. Put Romans 10, 14 to work in your life. And I know you know that verse. And if you don't, look it up. Don't miss the opportunities God gives you. Be obedient to him and pass that third test, that, win that battle of obedience. So if you want a victorious view in the valley, uh, even in the valley, <laughs> we've seen that there are some battles that Jeremiah faced that we're going to face. There's a battle of wills and a battle of humility and a battle of obedience. But here's the thing. Everything we've talked about this morning all three of those battles, really, they just boil down to one thing. So in all actuality, the three battles in the valley are combined into one ultimate battle. And that's the battle of who? So there's a battle of wills. And there's a battle of humility. And there's a battle of obedience. But all of them combine in to just the battle of who. That's what they're about. Who has control of your life? Who do you live for? Who is the first on your mind in the morning? And the last on your mind when you go to bed? Who do you go to when you need answers for life? Who do you trust in a time of uncertainty? Who do you run to in the evil day? Who gets your glory? Who gets your praise? Who gets the best of your time, talents, and treasures? And if the answer to any of those questions is anything but God, then, then you need to look at your life this morning. But listen, if your answer to those questions is God, then you are viewing life and your circumstances through the lens of faith. And your view, even in the valley, can and will be victorious and then glorious to God. And your life will be fruitful and meaningful. You'll bring glory to God. And it doesn't take any special gifts or talents, looks or wealth. All you need for that fruitful, meaningful, victorious life is the correct answer to who. That's why I love verses. I don't even think it's in there, but I love verses like Acts 4.13. It's talking about some of the mightiest men in the Bible. And it says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They saw these guys, they're not the smartest guys around. They're unlearned and ignorant men. They marveled. Why? 
They took knowledge of him that they had been with Jesus. You see, Peter and John didn't have anything special in and of themselves. Their best life now wasn't all that great. Except that they knew the answer to who? They have been with Jesus. And that's who. So it doesn't matter who you are. It only matters who he is. But it matters who he is to you. For you, it doesn't matter who he is to me. It doesn't matter who he is to Pastor Jeff. It matters who he is to you. Are you willing to forsake your will for his? Are you willing to forsake your pride to lift him higher? Are you willing to be obedient even when it's hard and even with the hurts, even when it hurts? I'm telling you, the answer, the who, is worth it. He's worth it. So are you willing to give your life and live your life for him? Don't miss the victory that you can have in this life and the life to come. All because you lose that ultimate battle of who? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you.